Good Bone Health makes active aging possible. Join us for inspiring conversations from diverse perspectives in osteoporosis, from patients, healthcare providers, caregivers, policymakers, researchers, advocates, and innovators. Protect your ability to live your best life. The information and opinions expressed in Bone Talk are not intended to replace the services of trained and qualified health professionals or to be a substitute for medical advice of physicians. You may review the National Osteoporosis Foundation's full medical disclaimer at nof.org. Hi everyone, I'm Barbara Hannah Grufferman, Bone Health Ambassador and Trustee of the National Osteoporosis Foundation. Welcome to another episode of Bone Talk. This podcast is the second in our three-part series on menopause and bone health. Menopause happens to just about every woman, but so many of us simply aren't ready when we get to that first hot flash or night sweat. The National Osteoporosis Foundation is trying to change that by bringing menopause more out into the open, talking about the impact it can have on our bodies and lives, and offering tips on how best to prepare for the inevitable experience of menopause. Approximately 6,000 women in the U.S. reach menopause every single day. By 2020, 50 million women will be postmenopausal. And think about this. Because we are all living longer, most of us will spend over half our lives as a postmenopausal woman. While menopause is universal, it's also very personal because every woman experiences it just a little bit differently. Some women truly suffer through the temporary symptoms, while others, like me, get through it pretty much unscathed. The good news is that there are many options available to women, both systemic and topical, meaning those that just treat a specific symptom, to help them feel better as they transition through menopause. But the superhero for many women is hormone therapy, better known as HT. However, back in 2002, a famous study gave HT a very bad rap, and almost overnight, doctors stopped prescribing it and women stopped taking it. Slowly but surely, HT is working its way back into the good graces of the medical community and the women it serves. But as the result of a flawed study, an entire generation of women suffered needlessly from the symptoms of menopause and even worse, experienced an acceleration of bone loss. Joining me today to help us better understand menopause, how best to prepare for it, and to review the best options, including the current thinking about HT, is Dr. Margaret Noctegal, a leading reproductive endocrinologist at NYU Langone Health, an incredible woman I have known for over 20 years. Dr. Margaret Noctegal is Clinical Associate Professor, Department of OBGYN in the Reproductive Endocrine Division at NYU Langone Health. She's also a faculty advisor for the Violet Society Program, the mentor and career advisor program for NYU medical students. Margaret can also be heard on Sirius XM Doctor Radio and has appeared several times on Dr. Oz as well as other daytime shows. Margaret, welcome to Bone Talk. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. We have a lot to talk about. It's a hot topic. 
it's a real hot topic. It's not just hot flashes, but a hot topic. When you say the word menopause, one usually thinks of hot flashes and sleepless nights, but we know menopause has a much deeper impact on our bodies. For example, we know that our bones get weaker as a direct result of going through menopause. Can you please give us a quick overview of why? And listeners, please check out episode number one in this series as well for greater detail on how menopause impacts our bone health. But Margaret, just give us an overview. Absolutely. I think one of the key things to remember is that in menopause, menopause is where the ovary is no longer functioning. And when the ovary is no longer functioning, it is no longer making any estrogen. Estrogen is known to be very important for bone health because it actually decreases the resorption of bone and it increases the formation of bone. And as we had talked about in our first podcast, the bone is constantly being remodeled. There are cells in our bodies called osteoblasts, which lay down new bone, and there are other cells called osteoclasts which are basically eating up the old bone and keeping bone healthy by constantly being in this cycle of bone formation and bone resorption. So estrogen keeps this balance. When estrogen is no longer in existence and we have a lack of estrogen, it allows for the bones that actually resorb bone to be more active, cells that lay down new bone to be less active. And so this is a time when women no longer have estrogen that we see a big effect on the bones, and that's when we have bone loss. So that's why estrogen is really important for bone health. So it really seems as though we can say for women's health, especially in midlife and beyond, all roads lead to estrogen, but estrogen or a drop mm-hmm. in estrogen because of menopause has some other symptoms. It creates other symptoms as well, although the bone health, of course, is, is so critical. What are some of the most common symptoms of menopause for those people listening who have not yet experienced them? <laughs> great. <laughs> yes, I think that's, a, that's great. To like, let's get them ready. What's to come? What's to come? Well, People have estrogen receptors almost everywhere in the body. So there are estrogen receptors in the brain. And so people have hot flushes. They can have difficulty sleeping. A lot of women going through menopause will experience mood changes. This is a time similar to puberty when there's a lot of transition. So that's not unusual to see changes in mood. Actually, some people have difficulty in their memory, and many studies have shown that there's a specific memory problem, which is difficulty in finding nouns. So names of people or names of objects. I myself have had difficulty where I'll be lecturing, and I want to say a word, but I can't remember the word. So I'll circumvent the word just as an example. If I wanted to say banana, but I couldn't think of it, I would say the fruit with yellow skin. And then I would keep going because I don't want anyone to notice that I can't remember that noun. And that's a specific loss 
on that note, I'm so curious, do studies show that that is considered temporary, something that's like so perimenopausal it, or as you're yes, transitioning and then it fixes it, itself again, I hope? <laughs> in many, Right. So in many people, it is temporary. And by doing puzzles and exercising, exercising your brain and exercising your body, in fact, there's a couple of recent studies that have shown that resistive exercise, lifting weights, can actually increase the circulation, blood circulation, and can improve your brain functioning and can improve that ability to find those nouns that you are missing. There are things that you can do to, one, prevent that memory loss, but also improve it when it does exist. In some women, it's hard to get that back and in those individuals, that might be a good example of someone that could use some estrogen. The strength training, yes. not only clearly does it have a positive impact on our bone health, but then, as you pointed out, also on our brain health. Because uh, I'm always very right. aware right. of people feeling right. overwhelmed by having to do too much for every different right. body part. But if they realize right. that, no, these things are good for almost everything, head to toe, inside absolutely. and out, that be more positive. Mm -hmm. I absolutely think you're right. In addition, the lack of estrogen can have effects in other parts of the body, such as the vagina. And a lack of estrogen in the vagina can cause vaginal dryness. It can cause pain in the vagina. It can cause itching and burning. And also a lack of sexual desire, a decrease in libido. So estrogen oh, I just want to really, point out, Margaret, yeah. I just want to point out that everyone should know that episode number three, this is a three-part series about menopause. And the next episode, we will focus more on our sexual lives and sexual health as it connects to menopause. I, I'm glad you mentioned that. And so we'll hold off on talking about that aspect because that's a huge topic. And we'll try to stick to the other areas for right now. So clearly, right. Margaret, we lose estrogen. We go through menopause, we lose estrogen. It truly affects us from head to toe and inside and out. And women should be aware of that. And in some cases, the symptoms are temporary, maybe lasting longer than we would like, but still temporary, like the hot flashes. But then in others, it um, can be much more critical and chronic and something and more serious, perhaps, too, such as uh, how it affects our hearts, our brains, uh, and certainly our bones. So we've covered those. However, the good news, I always like to focus on the good news, because uh, there usually is, is, right, is that mm -hmm. there are options available to all of us. No one in this day and age, no one should ever have to suffer. And I, you know, I write books about women's health and positive aging and then everything I've ever written. I've always said this, no one should have to suffer, not in this day and age. So please, what do you do? Talk with your doctor about what the options are for you based on your, again, it's, it's universal, but personal. You're an individual woman. What would work best for you? I know what worked best for me at the time. My symptoms weren't severe enough to warrant systemic approach. So I took the more topical approach. So, but Margaret, right. please take us through some of the treatment options that are available to us, including the still sometimes controversial hormone therapy. I am a huge proponent of individualized care. So I love the way that you present options for people that are not the same for everyone because no two people, again, are the same. And so I think it really is important to have a conversation 
with your doctor, with the person that's taking care of you, with your healthcare provider, and discuss what are the risks and the benefits of any type of treatment for the individual, for you, for you, what's best for you. Because I think thinking about what are the symptoms, that's number one, how is this going to help me? And also, what are the sequelae? What are the risks for me? And what are the benefits for me? And so I think that just as you said, most important, have the conversation. If your doctor doesn't bring it up, you bring it up. And Mm -hmm. I think that that can really be a great way to start thinking about what those options are. For some women, the options are estrogen and using estrogen to take away the symptoms that we discussed, the hot flushes, the trouble sleeping, the moodiness, the lack of word finding. Just to clarify for the listeners, that uh, when you say estrogen, you, that is hormone therapy. So hormones are a huge variety of hormones. The particular hormone that alleviates these symptoms is estrogen. Estrogen is the one that is going to make these symptoms disappear. However, if women have a uterus, then women cannot take estrogen without something to protect the lining of the uterus because estrogen alone can increase the lining and can develop into abnormal cells and eventually 20 years down the line, even endometrial cancer. So women that are taking estrogen, if they have a uterus, need something to protect the uterus. And that something is either, there are some agents that have anti-estrogens in them or progesterone. And so when people are taking estrogen plus progesterone, then it's called hormone therapy. Mm -hmm. If women have had a hysterectomy, then they can take estrogen without progesterone. And this is an important distinction because it is the estrogen and the benefits of the estrogen that we're looking for. And one of the big benefits of the Women's Health Initiative, the WHI study that you alluded to, One of the benefits that we did learn is when the data was analyzed years later and reported, it was discovered that women that were taking estrogen alone had approximately 20% decrease in breast cancer. However, those women that were taking a combination of estrogen and progesterone had a very slight but significant increase in breast cancer. So the conclusion from that was there are many advantages to taking estrogen and hormone therapy. However, trying to minimize the amount of progesterone, taking enough to support the lining of the uterus, but not so much that you are increasing the risk of breast cancer. So that's the distinction between estrogen therapy and hormone therapy that usually when people say hormone therapy they need combination mm-hmm. and that Does hormone that therapy or mm-hmm. oh absolutely and estrogen therapy these are considered systemic meaning though throughout the body if you will to use layman yes. term instead of medical yes term. but yes. then there, there yes. are other exactly. options there are other options uh, as i mentioned i personally chose the topical approach right. to address specific issues. I did have dryness 
and my, my wonderful doctor recommended certain therapies and uh, even dry eye as a result. So you see, so those are options as well. Can you just maybe take us through a few of those? There are other systemic options that we can discuss as well. I'll address the, the local therapy. We'll probably get more into in the next episode because it's really local, meaning local to the vagina. And so mm-hmm. there are many options that women can use vaginally that can improve vaginal dryness and reverse the vaginal dryness. But those are local and they do not go systemically. In other words, they're not going to be treatments for hot flushes. They're not going to help you sleep. They're not going to help you move. They may slightly increase libido actually, but for the most part, it's a local treatment as opposed to a systemic treatment, which is going to have the effect on the symptoms and have the benefit of improving bone and improving bone health and improving bone density. So Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. is important. And then, you know, one thing that I really also, we've really learned from the WHI, so there have been a lot of positive findings from this study, which is that when the data was analyzed and categories, so this was a really large study, as you mentioned, WHI, looking at women who were taking hormone therapy versus women who were not taking hormone therapy and women who were taking estrogen alone, the women that did not have a uterus. And when they subdivided it by age group, we saw that in the women that started estrogen right at the timing of menopause, so in the 50 to 59-year-olds group, they actually had a reduction in heart disease. However, In the group of women that started approximately 60 to 69, so now they were approximately 10 years from menopause or even 20 years from menopause. So the average age of menopause in the United States is 51, ranging 45 to 55 years of age. So women that were more than 10 years out actually had the opposite effect. If they didn't take estrogen during that amount of time and then they started estrogen, then they actually had a decrease in their heart effects. So it actually was not good for them. So timing is really critical when you initiate your hormone therapy. However, you can use vaginal estrogen, even if you haven't had estrogen for 20 years, you can still take some vaginal estrogen. So that's another Mm -hmm. big difference between systemic treatment and local treatment. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, talking about the WHI study, it's really very intriguing to me and to to really to all of us that because doctors stopped prescribing it when the study came out in 2002 and women stopped taking it, there is a whole generation. There was really Mm -hmm. a whole generation Mm -hmm. of women who did suffer needlessly and uh, didn't benefit from the many positive effects of HT, as we've been discussing. So in your opinion, what impact do you think the WHI study on hormone therapy from 2002 have had on the bone health of women? I mean, specifically about that bone health. I mean, can't we assume that there are a lot of women out there right now walking around with low bone density or full blown osteoporosis because they did not or they stopped taking HT? As we know, about 40 to 50% of women over the age of 50, so menopausal, will suffer a fracture at some point in their life. So a lot of women are at risk for fractures and a lot of women are at risk 
for low bone density. Those that are not on estrogen or not taking estrogen or have had lack of estrogen for a long period of time absolutely are a higher risk for lowering their bone density. So women that have discontinued estrogen therapy, whether because they needed to or other risk factors such as liver disease or a increase in blood clotting risk, definitely need to consider what other things they can do for their bone health. And that brings up areas that we've already mentioned, such as getting adequate exercise and vitamin D and eating well. So absolutely, people that are not exposed to estrogen are at a greater risk of bone loss. Mm-hmm. What are the current recommendations right now with regards to HT? And like, how do you discuss HT with your own patients? What's your recommendation? Right. So the current guidelines are that hormone therapy to be used for the lowest dose for the shortest duration that treats the symptoms that a patient is experiencing. So really many women will have symptoms that only last, say only, but it seems like a long time when you're going through it, five to seven years. And many women will then not have any more symptoms. Um, Mm -hmm. Many women will actually continue, not the majority, but some women actually continue to have hot flushes even into their 70s. So again, this is a key area for individualized care and really focusing on what are the risk factors for this particular person and what are their symptoms. And when I see a patient in the office, we go through what are the risks and benefits for that particular person. And then even if we've decided, yes, I want to start some estrogen now, and then we'll talk about what kind of progesterone or anti-estrogen is right for that person, we're going to reevaluate that again, probably six months later, and then again at a year, and then at another year. And every year, we're going to reevaluate whether this estrogen treatment is right for that particular person. So what's right for you might not be right for me, but might be right for our best friend. So I think Mm -hmm. that it's really important to constantly be reevaluating what are the risks, what are the benefits. And the benefits we've already talked about, the improvement in hot flushes, the ability to sleep better, to fall asleep better, to have a better night's sleep, which we all know how much better we feel when we've had a good night's sleep compared to a night where we only slept three hours, to alleviate the mood changes, which is not only a problem for the individual, but their family and the people that they work with and the ripple effect, the mm-hmm. memory, the yeah. libido. You know, we've already talked about a lot really of everything. Advances. The whole body mind experience. And you're right. I'm so glad that you just pointed this out. Margaret, one of my big things right now is bringing menopause out of the closet, making it no longer a taboo topic, have people talk about it openly and without shame. And so that not only will women be prepared for it, as we all should have been, uh, I wasn't myself, but, but the people in their world, the people, the people they work for, I, people they work with, people they're married to or, or, or their partners, their children, right. that they right. understand, oh, mom is not, you know, right. isn't suffering from dementia. 
Right, <laughs> right, just right. Just has a I, bit of brain I, fog right now. <laughs> I definitely want to respond to that because I think that is, you know, really, really important. The one thing I just want to add is I think we should bring up the risk factors because estrogen is not for everyone. It's for a lot of people and can be extremely beneficial. However, if a person has had breast cancer or currently has breast cancer, estrogen is not a good idea for that individual. Someone that has a very bad liver disease, probably not a good idea, relative what we say contraindication. And people Mm -hmm. that have a strong history of any kind of a blood clot or a genetic predisposition to blood clotting, such as a factor, a misfactor in their blood that helps them not have blood clots, those are people that shouldn't take estrogen. So there are risk factors, and people should talk about those risk factors with their doctors. So I just wanted to mention that. But I do want to address what you said, which is that we really do want to be considerate. And one of the things that I've heard from patients is things like menopausal mommies and ways to explain maybe not being themselves. And sometimes you don't even need to get treated, but just to understand what women are experiencing so that others around them can be able to relate to them better. So just having that understanding, like I'm not really being myself right now, but I'm really trying. And that can make a huge difference. A huge, and you know what right. one of my right. my ongoing fears is about this? It's like, in some ways, it's like a double-edged sword. I want to bring it out there. I want to put it out there. I want people to be talking about it and acknowledge it, is it? And, you know, their partners, their sexual partners, because it impacts just about every part of their bodies and their minds, as we've been talking about. But my fear also is that people could also turn around and use this against women. Oh, sure. Right. Well, I, I don't know if we should right. promote her. After right. all, she's going for you know, right. Just like we have often Absolutely. seen people use women who are menstruating. There were even political. Right. I don't want to name names, but there were certain political people who referenced menstruation as a reason why someone can't be in office. So you, you well, see, there's so many. We, we could have I a mean, whole think, other episode right. focusing just right. on this. But I think what you said is great. Is that people should just feel comfortable with the conversation and mm-hmm. talk menopause is going to happen to women at some point. And being comfortable Inevitable. speaking about what's going to happen to me with when I stop having periods, what's going to happen to my body, even if I can't predict exactly what is going to happen, have somebody that I can talk to to ask the question, is this menopause or is this something else? I mean, I've had people that come in to see me having hot flushes. It's the sign of another abnormality. So bringing these symptoms to a doctor can be critical, feeling comfortable to discuss an irregular period. I had a patient who I've now seen for over 20 years. The first time she came to see me, she was 45 years old, and she came in with irregular periods. She didn't have any hot flushes. She didn't have any vaginal dryness. She didn't have any memory problems. She had no other symptoms except irregular periods. She told me about them as though it was just perimenopause and nothing wrong. I, however, knew that she's 45 years old. She's young. She shouldn't be having irregular periods. We went ahead and did 
an endometrial biopsy, which is a sampling of the endometrium, the lining of her uterus. And sure enough, this was a very unusual situation. She actually had the beginning, the very start of endometrial cancer. It was extremely early. It hadn't even gotten to the real cancer part. Oh, it was pre God she saw you is she, all I can say. She had it mm -hmm. taken out and she's completely treated. I continue to see her now. And it was not menopause. She didn't go into menopause for another five years. So sometimes people attribute the symptoms that are menopause to menopause when they really need attention because it might be something else. And I don't want to put it yeah. out there as a scary thought that everyone has something else. But in the very rare instance that it is the sign of something else, I think it's worth getting attention. So and also, the key to that, I think, is finding a doctor, OBGYN or an endocrinologist or your PCP or, or all three, right. or, or your internist, who or, you or, or really are comfortable with. Or a nurse. Mm -hmm. Right. There are a lot of people in medicine Options. care for patients who have It has to be studied. someone you're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. I think the, 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 the bottom line is, right, don't be afraid to ask questions. And I think when mm -hmm. you ask questions, that's really important part. It, people know their body pretty well often, and so when they notice something is not right, it's often a sign to, to really find out if it is. And sometimes it's nothing. And sometimes it's nothing. Margaret, I have to bring up your mother. Who well, I always like bringing up my mother. I know. We <laughs> love talking about her. She's a hot topic, too. Dr. Lila Nakdegal, she is a world-renowned, world-renowned expert on menopause. And she wrote a groundbreaking book, which I love, and which actually, if I'm not mistaken, the last edition, updated edition, was 1995. And it's called, everyone, by the way, Estrogen, the Facts can change your life. So she focuses on estrogen. And she did devote an entire chapter to hormone therapy and estrogen and bone health, how the drop in estrogen affects your bones, as you and I have been discussing. I reread the book prior to this conversation because I specifically wanted to ask you and ask myself, gee, uh, what did your mom know in 1995, that still holds true today. Well, absolutely everything. And what's different? Mm -hmm. And what, based on what I saw as a lay person, really, she knew it all back then. She knew it all. She, she knew is, it all. I mean, it's, I didn't know we were going to talk about, she really is the most amazing human, but she really is my hero. And it really is amazing. She's been studying estrogen now for over 50 years. And uh, she worked in a lab when she was a resident studying estrogen. She has worked on estrogen both in a basic science lab as well as clinically with patients for over 50 years. And uh, if I ever have any questions relating to estrogen, she is the person to go to. I'm not alone. People all over the world seek her out. So she really is amazing. But you're right. It is incredible. She's a rock star. That, and not that much has changed in our understanding from what she recognized early on and recognized, you know, the benefits of estrogen and certainly saw what effects it can have on the bone and how important it is for bone protection. And she also knew then about vitamin D and calcium and exercise and eating right and not being too, too thin and not 
over over exercising where it can cause weight loss and mm-hmm. deprivation of estrogen. So I think it is amazing. And I love that you brought up my mom. I think she will have to tell her to listen to this because she is a rock star in the field of estrogen and menopause and bone mm-hmm. health. And one thing I want to point out is that, you know, we've been talking a bit about the Women's Health Initiative study on hormone therapy, and then it came out in 2002, et cetera. And then, of course, the media, by the way, how did women hear about it and decide they would stop taking HT? Well, the media went crazy with it, as we all remember, and and that's how we all found out about it. But your mother, who is a proponent for the right person, you know, not everybody, as you pointed out. Individualized. uh, Absolutely individualized. Yep. The Mm -hmm. power of HT. My recollection, even in the face of that study coming out, she still maintained her support of HT and uh, throughout. So she was steadfast. And, and you know what? And people have been right turned person. around and said, you're right, Dr. Nostagog, right, you are right. right. Well, I can tell you a funny story. Well, not so funny, but her patients, anyone who's listening will know this, that in 2001, when the study was halted because there was a concern that estrogen was increasing breast cancer, she actually released to all her patients an offer to come. NYU was kind enough to give them a room and there were over a hundred women came to listen to her speak about estrogen and understand what estrogen does for the brain, for the bones, for the vagina, and talk about what are the risks and what are the benefits and really allow them to make an educated decision what was right for them in terms of if is should I be continuing or should I stop? And that was a very small group, but we did do that right around that time. You know, as I said, the study had a lot of good things that we've learned from it. Really, really did learn a lot. I think initially it was misunderstood and the findings may not have been explained the way that they are now. But again, we learned about the timing of estrogen. We learned about Mm -hmm. the absolute good positive effects that it can have. We learned that progesterone does slightly increase breast cancer. So we have to really be careful about that. There's a new agent now that combines an anti-estrogen, vasodoxifene, with estrogen. So that can be very helpful for bone, and you don't need progesterone with that. So that is uh, available. So we have learned. The Women's Health Initiative study, you're right, it had good things and bad things. It was a bit flawed, but we got back to that and fixed what was flawed and but any in my mind anything that starts a conversation in a way that educates people and has people focus on the issue is a good thing so all good all good and i think that what we want are hoping to achieve is to have greater discussion about menopause in general and certainly greater discussion about its impact specifically on bone health so from there i'm going to jump to Margaret, what, based on yes. everything we talked about just now, what are the two or three things you would really like our listeners to take away from this chat we had today? I think the key things here are what you just said. Have the conversation. Don't suffer. If you're having symptoms and you have questions, go ahead and 
speak to a healthcare provider and get some good information for you and see what would be right for you as an individual, be healthy. I think that's the key thing. Absolutely, it's key. All of the above. I say yes to all of the above. <laughs> Margaret, thank you so much for joining me today on Bone Talk and for sharing your knowledge about menopause and hormone therapy and all the other options and everything else we talked about. I can't thank you enough. Oh, Barbara, it's always so good to talk to you, and thank you so much for having me and allowing me to speak with you. Everyone stay tuned for the next one. This was number two in a three-part series. Number three will be coming up next, so be sure to check back at NOF.org or wherever you are accessing this podcast for the next episode, and you can learn more about menopause by going to the North American Menopause Society website at www.menopause.org. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bone Talk as much as I enjoyed talking with our wonderful guest, Dr. Margaret Noctegal. We heard Dr. Noctegal's great insights into menopause, its impact on our bones, and the current thinking of hormone therapy, but we want to hear from you too. So please, Visit www.nos.org and go to share your story and tell us about the steps you are taking to stay bone strong for life. Because the more we stay connected, the stronger we will be. For more information about how to keep your bones strong and healthy always, please visit nof.org regularly for up-to-the-minute information. And I know you enjoyed this episode, didn't you? And you learned a lot too, right? So please do two simple things. One, subscribe to Bone Talk so you never miss an episode. And two, please share this information with all your friends and family, not just your women friends, but your guy friends, your partner too. And maybe consider making a little donation to NOF so we can keep our programs and research going. Until next time, remember this, we can't control getting older, but we can control how we do it. Thank you and bye for now. Thank you for joining Bone Talk, the National Osteoporosis Foundation's podcast that shares information, strategies, and inspiration about good bone health that makes active aging possible. To learn more about bone health, to become involved and or help fuel NOF's mission with financial support, visit nof.org.